say with the addition of me, you know, we're, we're doing better, but I look at it as like with the addition of Brian Danielson and Adam Cole and, and all the talent that Tony brings in, you know, every day is a step forward. And it, it doesn't necessarily start with me being the champion. It, 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 to me, it, it's, a, it's a team effort. And I, say, I like to say if you want to go, you know, fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together very much a, a team effort and team environment backstage. I, I couldn't do this uh, alone. Obviously, this guy did bring me back to professional wrestling, so all credit to him. That wasn't easy to do. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be the champ. Uh, I take great responsibility in holding that title. And, you know, if, if I'm the face of AEW, I, then I'm the face of AEW, and I'm going to do everything I possibly can uh, to not just put more money in my pocket, but his pocket everybody's pockets backstage and put on the best possible show every single time I can for all of you. Cool. Thank you. Nick? Uh, congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, a lot of people uh, were talking about the promo exchange you had with oh, sorry. A lot of people were talking about the promo exchange you had with Paige leading into Double or Nothing, how it felt like there was some real tension there. Um, do you feel like you're um, blending in with this locker room, or do you still feel like you're kind of somebody on the outside trying to find his way in to the regular mix of AEW? Uh, oh, I've, I've grown so wise in my old age that I will I'll do my best to be uh, as diplomatic as I possibly can with this answer. Um, if there's people backstage uh, that don't like me, it's a minor says that nobody wants me here and nobody likes me, I like to say that uh, nobody's don't like me and nobody's don't want me. Mm -hmm. Don't need that. Fair enough. Danny Webster, Las Vegas Sun Punk. You kind of touched on it on Dynamite about over 10 years ago in this city. You had the moment that kind of 
skyrocketed your professional wrestling career. To come back here 10 years, 11 years later, does it feel like a full circle type moment for you, given what happened back then to now? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I, I just did um, Mark Ramondi interview me for the USPN, and uh, I, I said something that I think a lot of people, obviously, on his face would think is ridiculous. I said, I feel like the, the seven years I was out of the ring, I didn't feel was wasted. I feel almost that the 10 years that I spent in WWE was wasted because I feel it is management, owner, booker, whoever's job is to get the most out of all the talent. And I feel that I never was, I reached the potential that I could have given uh, the limitations they constantly put on me. And I feel here, uh, there's no limitations put on myself or anybody. And the sky's the limit. So I finally feel like I could reach my potential. So that's what I mean uh, when I say that, God damn, I look back on that time and I'm like, you know, what are we doing? To me, you're always trying to make the most money and put on the best possible show you can. And it felt like 10 years of fighting uh, silly battles and standing on my own dick. And I'm not in the, the business of trying to stand on my own dick. And I'll say it one more time. I don't do that here. You know, I, 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 I think Everybody here can reach their fullest potential. We have a dentist that works here, right? Because I chip my teeth or something. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this sucks. Yeah. Hi, Mike Dagger with Lucha Libre Online. Punk has been almost. I for sure got you guys blocked. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure you got yeah, blocked. For, yeah, I'm, pretty, sure, I'm pretty, pretty sure you got me blocked. I'm pretty I'm sure. Yeah, okay. Especially after this question, probably will like me even less. But, um, <laughs> I haven't so, answered yet. So, it's <laughs> so, been around nine years since you've been the world champion somewhere else again. How do you feel? You seem a little tired, but. Well, the show is like fucking 12 hours. <laughs> 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 not, you're not tired? Oh, I'm, I'm tired as hell. You're in y'all's mic for like two hours. So, yeah. the, but my real question is you had like a little bit of a Twitter war not too long ago with Eric Bischoff, where he, and I quote, he said that you were the biggest financial flop in wrestling. That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I can tell there's only one person that can attest to that. I don't know what other people. I can only attest what's happened here in public record, and some of these things are a matter of public record because things of freedom of information and stuff. So we do, you know, have over the years a good amount of financial data in pro wrestling. I can tell you, like, no one wrestler has ever come in and made a bigger plus delta financial difference in the history of my company going into, this is the third year anniversary this week, going into year four, no one person has ever made a more positive impact. We just had a record pay-per-view buy. Every pay-per-view, he's done a four pay-per-view cycle now. Every one of them was the record. This And uh, whether it was All Out, where he was a huge part of the draw with Darby, and his debut, of course, is a huge thing from the first dance, the biggest rampage draw in the history of that show. Uh, the matches, he carried the Friday Night War, which, by the way, is a matter of record in fucking court in the state of California that we won the Friday Night War. Just ask Jerry to did it because he fucking wrote it. And this guy won it versus Matt Seidel, who's a great wrestler. He had another goddamn great match on Friday night. This fucking guy, he fucking did the Friday Night War. He did the first dance. 
He's done the record double or nothing. He did the record all out in his debut. He did. A, he was a big part of a record full gear. A great match with Eddie Kingston and fucking bunch of. He wrestled a bunch of young guys, a bunch of veterans in between there. The Will Hobbs, Daniel Garcia, goddamn it. And then he showed up and did the biggest program in terms of everything, TV, box, ever with MJF. And then he did the goddamn main event here. He's the biggest part of financial success in the history of this company. Let's fucking go! We gotta put Ether behind that. That's a shitty opinion. It's the most bullshit opinion I've ever heard. And like I said, I hope the answer I gave got backed up why he's the opposite. He's actually perhaps the biggest financial success story. In okay, we're moving on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just, I can watch me up. Oh, I'm sorry. 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 Um, after the match, you kind of made a joke, uh, kind of in jest and kind of not about uh, never doing another bump shot, Larry. Yeah. Um, I mean, did, did, did you feel like when you did that, it was like, oh, mistake or was it just like oh i'm sure you're not gonna get me fired <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that's one of the that's one of those fucking things i um that those are the, those are that's the only time that i've missed it since i've tried it i did it on tv and i just i just didn't i just didn't hit it for whatever reason and, it's, it, and it sucks but you know that's the, that's the fun thing about pro wrestling is i'm more comfortable when shit goes fucking sideways and not everything needs to look uh perfect in my opinion um, I'll probably beat myself up about it uh, way too much, uh, but, you know, mistakes happen. So now going forward as champion, um, are there any names that you're looking forward to more than others? I mean, there's a list of 30 guys yeah. or more that we could go right through, but is there anyone that you're going like right now, whether it's whoever it is, that you're really looking forward to going against next? Oh, um well, obviously, we got Forbidden Door coming up. So, you know, to me, focusing on that, um, I think Okada, uh, Tanahashi, Osprey, guys like that, I'm looking forward to stepping in the ring with. Uh, AEW talent. Um, I always think number one with a bullet is going to be Brian Danielson. Um, I've never wrestled John Moxley. I wrestled Dean so that's that's an interesting that's an interesting matchup. There's still guys on, on my list that I've never wrestled with: Jungle Boy, uh, Ricky Starks. Um, I could probably finish out my career wrestling uh, FTR like every day for the rest of my life, and it could be different and fun every single time. Um, Will Hobbs is another guy that I, I, I think has all the potential in the world. We got a really stacked roster. It's it's almost it's almost a crime that can't do everybody justice at once, but I think we're getting there with baby steps, and I think we're learning. Um, I think we may make mistakes, you know, but instead of, you know, dwelling on it and punishing other people or ourselves, I, I think we, we move on and we just, you know, try to learn from things. Uh, but Brian Danielson would probably be the first guy that, that comes to mind. Very selfishly, a little less than me. Yep. Will Washington, Fightful. Uh, so you famously had 
two other reigns that kind of kicked off uh, summer in 2005 at Death Before Dishonor 3. You won the ROH world title and it kicked off what was known as the Summer of Punk. Uh, fans kind of dubbed 2011 Money in the Bank uh, the Summer of Punk. And now we're going into another summer and here you are, the AEW world champion. How do you feel these this next reign can go the distance and top what you did with specifically the, the first run uh, with Ring of Honor? I, oh God, I don't know. I mean, that's the goal, right? And it's weird too, because I'm a fall guy. I like Halloween, I like the cool weather, but summer seems to be uh, my time of year. I, I think we top it by uh, telling great stories and making the focus wrestling. crazy sandbox whole town that I, I get to wrestle and I think that's how we try to top it you know I, I don't I, I feel like this is the first time in my career I'm more comfortable being the good guy but always felt a little shy about it uh, I feel more connected to the audience than ever before probably has a lot to do with me disappearing for so long and every day really is a gift fans feel that, and I think I project that, but it's just like, man, this could all be gone tomorrow, and I'm just trying to really relish every single moment I have in the ring and make everything special. That's how we make that the best summer of punk, just try to make every moment come. Dave Schilling, LA Times. Um, Two questions, one for each of you. Punk, you have wrestled a lot of the best in AEW so far, and I think this is probably one of your best, at least I think from a crowd response perspective. I certainly love the match. Where do you rank this in the matches you've had so far back at AEW? Tony, you've talked a lot about how you planned the first champ for the first four champions pretty early in AEW history. When did you know Punk was going to be number five? Um, where do I rank it? I don't know. I, Dax will probably make me watch it. Um, and, and I don't know. The thing that's going to stick in my head is, you know, I, 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 I screwed something up. And it, it, it might take that out of the equation, and it might have felt like a damn near perfect match to me just from the crowd response. I, I feel like they were super into him and me, and it's more of a, dictate which way we go um, it's it's up there especially when you consider I, I this first time you have, we ever locked up I mean, the first time you ever wrestle somebody who's normally sometimes um, it's a little sticky you know uh, so as far as matches go first time we ever touched I, I think it's it's pretty damn good but I mean, it, it, as far as ranking it I, 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 I don't know I'm, my, I'm honestly my to answer this uh, specifically, especially with uh, the champ sitting here. but I would, So I'm going to kind of dance around your question, but say that <laughs> we got very close in the pandemic. And then as soon as, you know, I think there was a point where there were no fans in, this, in the seats still, but we were really tight. 
and then things came together and the first dance lined up and it was like this miraculous thing that the United Center was available right before all out, right? Like within a month of when we came back, about a month and a half of when we first returned to the road, like in exactly what he wanted. And I think um, I knew he could do it. I knew he could do it. And what would happen, and like I always said to you guys from the beginning, this isn't some Hollywood bullshit comeback. He's here every week. Nobody works harder than CM Punk and his company. And nobody's done more for this company in the last year than CM Punk has. And uh, so I think in the pandemic, I could foresee that like that. But from the other truth uh, is a good question that I want to tell, and he knows, and you know, is from the very beginning, like he's, you made no secret, like, you know, uh, you wanted to see if this thing got off the ground. You didn't want to be the guinea pig from this thing from the very beginning. And you came in at a time when the company had, had taken steps. And then I think like when you and I got to know each other in the pandemic, I think it like opened up and created a chance for us to like, we had a lot of time at home, start talking on the phone a lot and became friends. And, and so I think like that created an opportunity. We just didn't know when the fans would come back, but the fans have made this so special from the first dance, the first moment he walked out is one of the great moments in wrestling tonight. It's such a great moment. And what I would add is from the very beginning of the company, you know, I knew that if we had CM Punk and, and along with the people we got, like I wanted from day one, but when he finally came, the best stuff we've ever done like i was saying gave financial it's not just about the financial it's about the people and we've never been in a better place because of you so thank you Marcus Rage, pro wrestling illustrator grassy podcast i'd like to formally apologize for the tears last time we had a conversation on the screen i've cried like six times uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> congratulations on your victory um aew are on their way back to your hometown chicago illinois how do you feel going into Chicago now as the AEW World Champion? Uh, I, I feel a great responsibility, you know. Um, everybody always talks about locker room leaders and, and all this corny shit. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily think you know they exist except certain people lead by example, and to me, that's. So I'll leave the company and go into Chicago, and uh, I, I'll learn from all my past mistakes and do the best I possibly can to uh, show everybody in the locker room uh, not necessarily you know the one right way to do things, but you know uh, how to how to operate and how to conduct yourself as a champion. But I'm very excited to to go back to Chicago. On top of doing AEW every week, I'm filming two television shows, so I, I kind of haven't been home in a very, very long time, and I'm, I'm hoping my schedule clears up a little bit so I get to actually spend like maybe a week or two at home before the, the pay-per-view, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, shooting a television show in the, in the time of COVID is actually more chaotic than pro wrestling, but um, I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to just keep working hard and staying healthy. The show's already sold out, so to me, my focus is selling pay per views. But I'm, I'm very excited to go. You're also leading the company in LA, Jan. I am. The yes. forum. It's so weird. A couple weeks ago, um, yeah. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I, I went to the forum to see Bill Burr, and I was like sitting there and I was like watching Bill Burr, and I just was looking around thinking, man, this is so crazy. All these people came to see this guy. Hey, wait a second. We sold this place out too. That was just, it, was like a, it was like an aha moment. I was like, oh, it's. It's pretty, it's pretty fucking cool. It's a famous, it's a famous building, and um, again, 
fortunate and grateful every day. I, you know, I can say I still got the Staples Center, and now I can say probably selling out the Forum, and it's it's neat. You know, it's it's exciting. Bill Burr was here last night too. Was he? Yeah, he was here. Son I saw him. He's following me everywhere. Great. <laughs> Yes, it's very much by design. Come back, um, get your feet wet, show that you can still hang, do a bunch of callbacks, kind of catch people up to speed about stuff they may not have seen. It was a happy accident that uh, Tony bought Ring of Honor at the same time, so um, it's it's a great advertisement for uh, that company. And I, I think MJF, growing up a CM Punk fan was such a big part of that, that we got to tell that story, not just like a nostalgic way, we got to tell it through the eyes of uh, a kid who grew up watching it, and, you know, different perspective, it's just pretty super interesting to me that we got to tell that perspective and tell that story, and it's just like, just different chapters, and now this for sure is just the next chapter, and that was about the past. This is about the future, uh, and I'm excited to tell that story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. 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 Sure. <laughs> I have a I don't want to kiss your ass here, but no, please <laughs> kiss my ass. That's why I'm here. I've been watching your matches, and I feel Sorry. this is the best you've ever been as a worker. It's crazy. I'm just right? a guy. It's crazy. And uh, but I wanted to ask your opinion. What you think? Obviously, you have the ROH run, WWE run, this run here. What do you feel? I think it's so awesome. I think he's right. I think he's totally right. I think uh, it's so cool. I, I, I think you're right, too, and it's, it's really crazy. I don't know. I don't know if it's... I'm just older and wiser. I don't know if it's just there's more... Like I, I talked about before, I feel like there's more of a special connection with the crowd in me. I'm having so much fun, and I approach things logically all the time, whereas before, somewhere else, I think there was just all this external bullshit that, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter, and I don't have that here. Not all that weird pressure, and I can just kind of go out there and, for lack of a better description, just be an artist, if that makes sense. Sounds super fucking pretentious. It's pro wrestling, right? But I think some of the best guys that ever lace up a pair of boots looked at it that way, you know. And I said it to Mark Lamondi. I, I said I, I used to think, man, forty three was old as shit. You know, like shouldn't be. These guys shouldn't be in the ring. What the fuck? And now I look at it just like I'm in my prime, you know. And I don't want to just use that prime. For me, and that's hard to say because here I am and I have the title. But I, I want to, I want to use the time I have now to 
tell those best stories in hopes that the people I'm working with and the people that are in the locker room watching are like, oh, oh, I get it. You know, like a lot of it comes with experience and putting time in. So I've developed the relationship with the crowd, you know, and I just think this is, it's this place. This place makes me better than I've ever been because I'm able to reach my full potential. So everything about it. This is, uh, this place in the mix of talent and for all its warts, I love AEW. But like, this is, this is what I dreamed pro wrestling could and should be in America since I was like 15 years old and it took this long to get here. And I think that's what helps make me be the best version of myself that I've ever been. And on top of that, I got tremendous talent that carries me through and makes me probably look better than I really am. And that's, that's part of it too. I do have a question. Thank you. What was it like as far as, and I don't even know if you were, how close you were watching the undercard, but the, the matches that were, the last couple of matches before your match were pretty freaking great. I mean, did, did you, and you, and you would probably know that before the show had started anyway. I mean, do you feel a lot of pressure because you're, you're, you know you're going to follow some incredible matches? Yes. I mean, is that, like, and you, you're, you're on last. You've got to put on a great match because got a equal yes. or top what has already happened. Correct. Um, I oddly don't feel the pressure because I think up until this point, the one match that people didn't want to follow on these pay-per-views was probably me. Regardless of whether there's furniture and blood and, and all this other stuff. Um, I, that's the, that, I, I think that's probably why I'm in the position that I kind of relish being where I think if anybody can do it, it's me. Just because I have the experience and I can pay attention to the undercard and I can change things based on what other people have done. You know, so we're not seeing the same things over and over again. And, um, you're going to see repeat moves and stuff like that. But, um, I think I can adapt more just because I have the experience better than other people. I know because I have that connection with the crowd. And I really think me pretending that was just a, a, an interesting thing. It was kind of 50-50 for a minute. And it might be the first title match that a lot of people kind of felt could go either way. Um, I, I, I think that's why I'm in the position I'm in, is because I can, I can adapt on the fly and I can kind of change things at the drop of a hat and make it all work whereas maybe somebody else would feel that pressure and maybe try to do too much or whatever. And I, I, I can just go out there and just kind of listen to the crowd and be like, okay, we got them. We don't need to go completely crazy. I, a testament to the crowd, too, though, because it's a long show and they see everything. It, they're, they're, they're still up for that main event, man. We, we, got the best, we got the best crowd in the world, man. We got the best fans.
look great. Scott Fishman, TV Insider. So it's clear you can see the confidence every time you, you know, you see you renewed confidence, and then you have the batty section building up that, you know, that entourage that you seem to be having. But, you know, from the in-ring standpoint, how do you feel like you've grown as a performer? Kind of give us an inside look at the just the work that you've put in, you know, to, to better yourself in the ring. I work in a company of people who have worked indies, who've done something for 10 plus years. I'm entering my second year. I'm working with one of the best technical wrestlers in wrestling in general. I feel like my progression is amazing. Brian did an interview where he said that he didn't feel comfortable until six years. It's my second year. I feel like I'm killing shit. <laughs> Go ahead, Hi, yeah, Tony. Hi. Um, how has your life changed, you know, being a pro wrestler, and have, how have you adapted to this new kind of life? So I was a previous athlete. It's not that hard, but um, wrestling is a whole different world in general, just from the fans, with the fans, the schedules, the long hours, the commitment. It's different, and I'm still learning. Just for Pro Wrestling Illustrated Graph City Podcast. Great match, great everything. You look great, you're phenomenal. Uh, you got some new representation today. I think someone was reading my Wrestle Talk article that I put out on uh, <laughs> not pointing any fingers. Um, Stokely Hathaway debuted tonight to represent a uh, card that I think is the best pairing in the history of wrestling, possibly. How do you feel <laughs> having a new representation here in Stokely? I mean, he's the best talker in the game. Who would want anything less than that? Somebody that represent a superstar that's about to just come forth in front of all you guys' eyes. I think Tony Khan made the best decision that he could ever make in this situation. If I may, I was in a very unique position, champ. Uh, so it was pretty unusual. Uh, Stokely's 90 days expired yesterday. <laughs> so I have never met him or spoken to him until today because I do things the right way with honor. So it just so happened that his 90 days expired and I had this idea. but. And uh, we were lucky. I mean, he was. There's a lot of independent wrestling and stuff going on. I think he's been around. I guess he's been around Vegas. I had never met him until today. I swear on my life, and I'd never had a conversation with him. I've had him in mind since 2018, actually. Uh, since like early. I mean, I remember uh, being way back in the day, actually, with Cody, and I was saying I really like Stokely, uh, Stokely Hathaway. And Stokely Hathaway is. A bit, I'm a big fan of him, and it's funny because he came in today. And with Stokely Hathaway, uh, I haven't had another name recently with a, uh, another promotion, I, I never had this conversation with him. So today I told him, I want you to be Stokely Hathaway. I'm the owner of Ring of Honor. You have a great history in Ring of Honor. And not only did I explain, I wanted to pair him with the, the, world, I'm sorry, the, the world's greatest uh, network champion, the, the world's top undefeated pro wrestler two years in with uh, such a sparkling record and add to the presentation that's already come so far so fast. And he, like Jade said, he's a great talker. And I've literally never met him and spoken to him. We'd never talked or spoken until today, which is pretty cool that it worked yes. out. Yeah, it was great. Seriously, time. guys, I didn't know anything until 
I didn't know anything. This this like was a surprise to me just as much as everybody else in this room. Trust me, I was excited just as much as you are. It made for a great moment. I think it was a great surprise for the fans and the timing was sometimes like we've been fortunate sometimes and that was great timing that he expired yesterday. Definitely. And you didn't read my a lot of you know, hey, it's a, I think it's a I think it's an obvious solution, right? Put one of the uh, great champions in wrestling with one who's already got so much charisma with a great talker, and they can be like Bachwinkle and Heenan, uh, you know, a great talker with another great talker and uh, a great mind. So I think uh, they could be the new Bachwinkle and Heenan. I guess. Jay, congratulations, thank you, another great match. What does that title mean to you, though? Because on one hand, it's about proving yourself, but on another hand, it's about representation. On the other hand, it's diversity. And as you carry it, does the significance of it change as your title reign continues? So, when I first got the belt, I was like, damn, like, this, 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 this is like, this is a lot, this is a lot. Um, I feel like it was a weight. It was a, it's a huge weight to have a belt in general, especially for a company that's on primetime TV. But being that Tony Khan believed in me, and every time I got up there, I was like, all right, Jay, you got to freaking kill it. You got to prove these people wrong. You got to do this, that, and the third. And I'm putting in work. It means a lot to me. Every match I have, I'm like, okay, Jake, you have to show them how you're progressing, how you're getting better. Like, you have to show why you're worthy of this belt. You have to show these people who have done this for plenty of years and why all these people telling you that you're this and that and why you're going to believe in yourself and keep pushing. It means the world to me. I love looking at this belt. I am the first. I am the finest. And I believe I'm very much deserved. I want to follow up with uh, I know that we don't do the A and B titles, but you feel like that's the A title you carry, like you're the A champion. I have no comment about that, but we all know. Let's just say that. Alicia? <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, Women's Wrestling Talk. Um, there were three and a half women's matches. Thank you. Um, how does it feel to you know be growing this women's division? And we saw it show up and show out with a debut and your match, that entrance. Um, so how does that feel as a woman to see this grow? It feels great. When I first came, came in, my first promo was about elevating the women's division in general. It wasn't about me being a queen or anything like that. It was about me elevating the division. I don't see the point of being a king of a division that's nothing. You're here to elevate the division and make it better. That's what we're here for. Women's, uh, women's <laughs> wrestling in general needs to just progress and progress and progress and get bigger and bigger. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the stepping stones for the next generation that's here to come. Brian Zone with the Money in the Bank champ. Money in the Bank champ. Yeah, you know. But I, and we're not talking about that, though. So we're not talking about No, no. <laughs> we're not talking about that. I'm just talking about, about money. Though. We're just talking about money. That's, uh, but Jake, you are money. Congratulations. Uh, but as a former, uh, as a mother, as a wife, how do you actually take care of yourself mentally to put yourself in a you know, good state of mind? Because you're in a dangerous line of work where you have to not only take care of yourself, but your opponent. Like, What do you do to give you that happy moment or happy spot Like, where you can just be like, oh, like, whether it's like a hot bath or wine, like what is it? Being that my spouse is, it has nothing to do with wrestling in general, that honestly helps me out. I can go home and let's just say I'm stressed out. I can be totally stressed out, but because my spouse is in a whole different world, it's easy for me to just go home and he can just say, Jay, cut the shit. Sit down. <laughs> Breathe. Relax. You're in a whole different world right now. Wrestling in general is its own bubble. And being that I have somebody who's outside of that bubble who can just like pull me away from 
what I'm so focused on is a great film. Will Washington, Grab City. Hey, buddy. Uh, question. So, and I guess Tony might be able to chime in if you don't have the answer on this, but uh, when Cody Rhodes departed AEW back in, he gave the official statement back in February, I believe it was, uh, one of the things he said he wanted to see was the, uh, the Cody Vader end up with uh, Jade. And that became something that the internet had been asking for pretty much since then. Everybody felt like it was perfect for your entrance. And tonight, we finally saw that. So my question is, what's the new name for it now that we're done with Cody Vader? I guess I'm going to keep using it. You guys, uh, well, you're costing me several thousand dollars a week. It's <laughs> like $150,000 a year. It's a great show. watching wrestling right now and their friend that doesn't care about wrestling at all is watching and they're into fashion or whatever and they're like damn who is that like let me watch that and they get into it and then their friend watches and pulls them into it like that's why i'm here is to reach a different dem demographic that we don't have and to be that crossover and to reach that fashion designer or to reach that makeup artist or to reach that person in croatia or whatever it is that's what i'm here for i'm here to reach your girlfriend that's not into wrestling. Like, that's what I'm here for. I love fashion, I love I love sports in general. Um, it's, it's, it's so many different levels to who I am. Cool. So just to add to your exact point and elaborate how Jade's star power crosses over, like wherever we go, like so like AEW, we've been invited to like big sports teams, games, and for example, we've gone to the Chicago Bulls, National Predators, and when you walk around these big arenas with thousands of fans, for people who know wrestling, they spot wrestlers, including Jade, that they're excited about. But for people who've never seen wrestling before, when they see Jade walking around with the TBS title, people come up and they'll say, that's the champion of wrestling. But TBS, huh? Uh, that's pretty cool. And that's what you want. So uh, that's that's huge. And I've seen it happen in, you know, like I said, many sporting events all, you know, all across the country. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, girlfriend. Yeah. Okay, guys, I'm Denise Salcedo, Instincts Culture. You mentioned being into fashion, and immediately that triggered something in my head where I'm like, when it comes to that, I feel like there is still so much that can be done for uh, women's wrestlers in terms of how they're portrayed in pop culture and mainstream and all yes. of that. So with that being said, I think I, I think you know where I'm getting at with this question is, 
what would you like to see in terms of how AEW helps get their female wrestlers out there to the mainstream uh, culture and all of that? I mean, just putting us on like, for example, I love Sports Illustrated. I, I, I want to be on the body issue so freaking bad. And I can say that because I put so much hard work into my fitness and just my regimen and just keeping myself together for you guys. Because the day that I gain like 30 pounds, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get butchered out here. So I want to see us just crossing over more to like fashion and on magazines and doing catwalks. Like I would love to walk with Fenty. Like that catwalk, I want to do it so bad with this beautiful, luxurious belt. Um, it's so many things we can do. It's so many. We're, we're proud, powerful, strong women. And being that the Title IX, I believe, just crossed over the soccer team, all that thing that's just happening right now, it's just going to elevate women's sports in general. Awesome, thank you. Right, last question. <coughs> uh, congratulations, Jade. Uh, Nick Houseman of Wrestling you. Inc. Uh, Red Velvet put out a post this past week that got uh, a lot of people talking about Sunny Kiss possibly joining the baddies. Yes. Uh, much like Stokely Hathaway seems like a good fit. I think a lot of people would agree Sunny would as well. Do you see him uh, as somebody you'd like to bring into your mix? I think Sunny is I think Sunny is nothing but a bad bitch. If you ever see my Twitter, I literally have tweeted this out. I think it got over four or 5,000 likes about it. We're just crowded as hell right now, guys. Like, we got a bunch of people. We literally have, like, I have a lawyer. I have a, got a, I, I got a manager. I have two beautiful women right next to me. I love Sunny because I would love for him to be a baddie. But Jesus Christ, guys. Like, we're, we're loaded right now. I can only do so much. <laughs> Chance. I thought we had a pretty good chance. As the series went on, I was like, oh gosh. So I came up with a plan. 
uh, that I think worked really well, and uh, the person in here is a big part of it because the last three matches were the hottest three matches of the night, arguably at the end of a show. That because I pushed the buy-in to a later start, uh, at, you know, and, and, and tried to make sure we had really special stuff with Anarchy in the arena, and of course the World Tag Title and then the World Championship matches at the end of the night. We saw record buys, and we did get late buys, which was part of the strategy because I thought people would know the game's over, and there's still hey, there's fans gathered at home, friends gathered. Families gathered watching sports. Hey, what the heck? These matches are on, and then Anarchy in the Arena gets going. People here, it's nuts. Tell your friends. Tell your world tag title. You can still catch up on all the great stuff you missed. A lot of the favorite. Whenever Chris is coming down, I'm ready to. Sure. I can answer this later. But you know, a lot of my favorite pay per views are like 13, 14, and they're great to rewatch. Like, I, how many times have I watched uh, WrestleMania 17, which is like 13 matches? How many times? Now they're a little bit shorter. Now some of the 12, 13 minute matches in this show, like Jericho and Regal, only went like 7:45. Which I think Chris could, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I you know I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I think people are gonna watch it over and over again. It was a big success for us commercially, and I think the fans at the end proved it was it was uh, the right move, uh, holding stuff out, holding hot stuff, and uh, commercially a success. And I, I heard a lot of you like the matches a lot, and the stuff at the end uh, got the response we were hoping for. And I think the whole show was great. Um, and I, uh, do you guys have Chris? Oh, great. Okay, great. Well, that's great. Uh, and it's very fitting. We had the champs and then late champion, the first champion, uh, coming back to where we did this for the first time. It's a different building, but it's cool to be back here. And uh, after Chris is here, I'll stay with you guys until you get all your stuff answered and talk to you. But it's really a, a very special, uh, crazy day. And uh, I, like I said, I put stuff in later in the week knowing uh, that as the series went on, it was like, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to stack the card up. And I felt like starting later, it was about revolution. It was probably similar to Belleville time because revolution, the buy-in started near the top of the hour and we went with that Layla and Salander had a very good match. And then later the House of Black had a good match. I and mean, the hook matches, you know, it would have been like if we kept the hook match and pushed those other matches into the pay-per-view with the West Coast start. So it was actually probably a very similar Belleville time from when the buy-in started. But I think it got more into the pay-per-view window. And that's, I've talked to Dana and, and Hunter and the people at UFC. I mean, I think Dana runs the best business and sports pay-per-view public history and certainly the most consistent winner. And they put on long pay-per-views. I mean, Punk and Hangman went into the ring far earlier than any UFC main event or big boxing main event in this town. And uh, I was here in, in, not here, I was in the MJ Grand 10 years ago when Pac-Way on Bradley fought. And, you, I mean, they, didn't, they smartly held back because, and think about it, look, like, it's no secret to sponsor the show. The title sponsor is DraftKings. And they... We're not, we advertised that people had action, and I think they saw the most of any of the matches we promoted through them. And for them, it was good, too, to have, like, people get out of the Heat Celtics game and then be able to go back because the title sponsor is a company that's, like, the biggest sponsor we have right now. And they happen to work with UFC and other big companies. Uh, like, you know, what they've done, I think it made sense to get out of the Heat Celtics game for them. And uh, speaking of a guy that uh, ended this with the hottest last three matches I think we've ever done on any pay-per-view and, and it's a huge part of why this is a huge night and one of the best things we've ever done. He's been big from the beginning. <laughs> hey guys. Hey, you're not hey, thank you. Okay, first question we've got Dave Meltzer. Chris, how you doing? Oh, hey Dave, what's up? <laughs> yeah. So, the match is Tokyo maybe, right? What? Tokyo Dome maybe was the last time I saw you? 2020? Uh, oh, it would have been Tokyo, yeah. Yeah, right yes. yeah. So, so, um, what was it like? I mean, you had ten people. I mean, and this that match was just insane. I guess <laughs> is the best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, what was it like putting this thing together? Because I, I was just like, 
there's so much going on that you almost have to watch it like four times to catch everything. I mean, it was just, it was insanity. That's all I could say. Yeah, first of all, I just want to say that our production team, our directors, did just an amazing job because it was very crazy. Um, we had done the stadium stampede the last two years, obviously, and it was because it was a, a product of its time. I just watched the first stadium stampede with, with Matt Hardy for his podcast just a couple of days ago. It still holds up. It's such a great spectacle, especially when none of us really knew what was going on. We had to record the whole thing in an empty stadium, obviously. Then last year was kind of a combination of the stadium stampede and the live, uh, the finish was in the live arena. So we were talking, what are we going to do this time? We thought about a couple different things, a couple different names, and then we just said, let's make it kind of a stadium stampede, but in the live arena. I was standing in the back, we were standing in the back in the arena, and literally I said, like, well, Arena Anarchy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh shit, anarchy but then you ended up going to Anarchy in the arena, yeah. it was better, but it was just like, we were looking, it was a great choice. Yeah, we wanted to do something with that spirit, but to transpose it to the live arena, now a street fight is a street fight, we said, well, let's just go completely over the top, and also keeping in mind that we have 10 people, and only so many cameras, and we've got to keep it where the fans can kind of still see what's going on, so I was... We came here on Thursday and just started talking about it. And that's when I started thinking, like, okay, this is going to be really cool. And then being out there and feeling it, I think people really enjoyed it. And I think the, where he placed, where Tony placed it in the show was very smart because it was the right place to kind of re-kickstart the last, you know, third of, of the whole show. Well, real quick, can I something? Sure. Because of the way this match was, went and everything like this, do you think this can be like one of your company signature matches, like when you do it once a year or every 18 months or, you know, something you go back to as like kind of one of your regular... I think it's events. a more sustainable solution than Stadium Stampede. Yeah. I think he'd be like, Chris is the master of reinvention. And I think like, once again, like putting heads together and with like Chris's great mind, we like reinvented and did something. And now we have anarchy in the arena and, you know... We were, we were very proud of Stadium Stampede. We said like, we were originally thinking maybe we should call it that, but it's a new version of it. But then we said that that was a product of its time. Maybe we'll revisit it, but now we can do an anarchy in the arena whenever the time is right, no matter what time of the, of the year it is. Thank you. Um, my favorite part of the match is the song playing through most of the match. <laughs> whose idea was this? And then whose idea was to kill it? So I think what we were talking about originally, we were kind of like um, hearkening back to New Jack, who used to play throughout his matches which kind of took away the fact that there were just basically plunder and just garbage going on, but the music added some excitement to it. So we thought, okay, so if we can play the music for the first like third of the match, that will kind of sustain it to where people see, like it's just kind of basic, well, not that it was basic, but just kind of like, until we get to some of these bigger moments, I think because no one's ever done that here <coughs> in AW or anywhere since then, it's kind of, uh, it kind of makes it seem different, it makes it different, and then I thought, well, this is great, and I'll be the, you know, the, the party pooper who hates this song, and well, let's break the soundboard. So let's put a, a soundboard thing up there and we'll break it. And that was my favorite part too. Like as soon as we hit the ground, it goes off. And like I was telling Tony, I was like, I love wrestling. I, st I still love wrestling for moments like this. Yes, it's comic, but it's it's like the asshole heel just hates music, and it's like I'm gonna smash this soundboard and finally cut it off. And then that kind of enabled us go to the next stage of the match. So it was kind of half of a cue, half of a really kind of opening kind of salvo of just chaos, and then gives me a, a cool moment of being like the curmudgeon who just hates rock and roll music. Burn it off. Yeah. 
Chris, you obviously wrestled in this city for many years, dating back to WCW. Coming back after two years away, not having double or nothing here to come back where it all started, I guess, how good was it to have Las Vegas back as a wrestling town and seeing the revival? Yeah, Las Vegas has been a great wrestling town for me and all the companies that I work for. But especially for us here, I mean, this is where it all started for us. You know, it really did. And I think Chicago and Las Vegas are the two cities that are really synonymous with AEW as far as kind of some of our uh, foundation shows, the tentpole shows. So to come back, and like I said, we we did a great job during the lockdown of keeping the, the lights on, creating new historic stadium stampede, but to be back in the crowd. And it's not the MGM Grand anymore, it's the T-Mobile. And this was this is a big room, man. Um, and when we came in here the other day, there was nothing in here. It was just one big, giant, empty room. And it was like, this is a big place. So it was, once again, like it shows we were really hot before all the stuff went down, and now we're really hot after everything has got, got, gotten better. And I think that's a testament to the work that we all put in and keeping the ball rolling. So when now that we can have a full T-Mobile Arena and deliver the show like we did tonight, it puts us kind of right back to where we were in January of 2020. And you remember when we got cut off, it was weeks, like two weeks before we were going into New York, New Jersey. That's finally, right, for blood and guts. Going to Prudential Center and everything changed. And now, we not only do we get to do that, but then it worked out so well that when we finally do go to Prudential Center then, we also a week later got to build another franchise temple yeah. show with Grand Slam, which is our temple TV yeah. uh, there and build the New York market out, which I think is obviously in the sure. world of sports and wrestling is so important to all of you know. And here in Las Vegas, Chicago, New York, and now finally opening up LA with you going back to the forum. Which yeah, cool. that's gonna be great too. I mean, yeah, all these big shows on this side of the country, I'm very, very excited about it. It's been a long time coming. Brian? Chris, great job tonight. Uh, Brian Zell, Money in the Bank Shot. Through the last couple of months, you've obviously gone through a physical transformation. I can't, like, I have not seen you speak on this, like, publicly on, like, what you've been doing on your diet, because, dude, you're, like, 50, and you look great. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it just was a combination of a bunch of different things, uh, and I just started really kind of changing my diet around. Uh, for some, some, for a little bit for some health reasons that I had that I'll explain at some point, but once I lost like 10 pounds and it wasn't really that hard. I said, well, maybe I'll just keep on this diet. And then it just became a way of life. And just, it, it's tied in so perfectly with, like Tony mentioned, reinventing myself. It was just when we started doing the Jericho Appreciation Society and then I lose a bunch of weight and it just kind of all fit in. It was like, it really was inspiring to like, you know, that's the hardest thing whenever you have to break some kind of a bad habit or eating habit or whatever, you feel a little bit of inspiration. Then it tied into to what I was doing on screen, and Tony was very much behind it. It just all fit. It was the next, the next, like every time I reinvent, it's not, I don't write it down. I wish I was, I could say that I just write these things down and it's all coming come to plan. None of this was ever supposed to happen, ever, ever, except for I had some health issues in December. Then as soon as I was fine, Eddie Kingston broke his orbital bone, and they were like, what the fuck are we going to do? This is like the match that's never going to happen, except for now it created the whole Jericho appreciation, the Blackpool Combat Club. All of the stuff that we're doing was very organic, and it just, it's, it, 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 I keep saying it, it's writing itself. The story is writing itself, and that was a big part of it. Thank you, Chris. Hi, Chris. I have, I have to highlight three guys to point out when Danny Garcia 
what did you see in these guys and you know how did you guys work on these three guys to get in such a great match last night? Well, it's kind of a combination. Once again, Tony and I always laugh because we always have great minds think alike moments where I'll text something and he'll say, I was saying the same thing and vice versa. And he put those three guys together, right? So when we started thinking of like, okay, maybe I should, because my original idea was to end up doing the feud that Eddie Kingston. You can't win the big one. He wins the big one. We shake hands and we become partners. Maybe, maybe we join up with Mons and become like some kind of a Eddie story. And I thought Tupelo's doing really good. Kind of brought them in and didn't know what to expect. And they kind of really killed it. And then I started thinking, why would we ever break them up? And why would I not use them and turn on everybody else, keep Jake as the heater and start a whole new faction? And it was just like, that's it. That's it. Because he, Eddie had just done a thing where he said that uh, Santana Ortiz um, didn't win the tag titles because of me. And it sprinkled this little shadow of a doubt in there, and that's when Eddie got hurt and he couldn't work. So I said, well, let's do a thing with Santana Ortiz. Finally, the inner circle goes our separate ways. Sammy quit because he was the, title, the champion at the time. It's between you guys. It just all fell in place. And that's when it was like, okay, I can use those three guys and start a completely new thing and put the spotlight on them. And not just on Danny, but on but on Matt and Angelo as well. They've done a great job. I mean, Matt Menard has become one of our best characters on the show. I mean, he's just, he's what Pat Patterson would call a gimmick. You're a gimmick. If there was no wrestling, you'd do nothing in life. And that's basically what he is. He's a gimmick, man, in the best possible way. So we've really kind of seen this and like, you know, uh, Jake Hager's always very underrated. He's all into it. And just, so let's all wear to white tonight. Let's wear Kangol hats like Danny Garcia, who was like, originally he was like, well, he's a sports entertainer. And people were furious. The ultimate wrestler is now a sports entertainer. And what did he do? He wore a Kangol hat. I was like, this, I was this many days old today when I wore my first Kangol hat. Like, what the fuck is a Kangol? Where'd you get a Kangol hat? You weren't even alive. And, 1996. So everyone's got inspiration and everyone's feeling it. It just creates great moments and great matches like we saw tonight. Okay, guys, a couple more? Yep. Ryan Alvarez. Yes. I'm, a, I'm intrigued at your ability to get things over that you've done throughout your career. And uh, I've noticed that, like, Brian Danielson will come up with an idea of something that he wants to get over. Like he saw the yes thing from, uh, right? Yes, and but it seems to me that you will do something, and then you will see that there's an ability to get that over. Like when the belt got stolen, you did the promo in the hot tub, and you mentioned the bubbly. I don't think that you at the time, and you can correct me. Well, there was no bubbly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't think you had the idea that I'm going to get over this phrase, the bubbly. Right. But you saw that it got over, and then you went with it. So. How would you, I just kind of want to know the way that your mind works. Would you say that the majority of the things that you get over, the list, the bubbly, I mean, you can go throughout your career, were these things that you, I, I'm going to get this list over, I'm going to get this bubbly over, like, is it kind of like a Danielson thing where you have this idea of something you want to get over, or are most of your ideas, something happens and you just think, man, I can That's go it. with this. I think one thing that I'm pretty good at is just reading the room. Because um, I've met a lot of things like where, like I, I thought, like oh, oh, GFY, that's a good one. And then the same night, Mox came out and literally said, "Go fuck yourself." And I was like, well, that was done. Um, but no one was really getting into it. You're kind of swimming upstream. But for example, like like the Wizard, for example, 
all it was was throwing the fireball on the wizard. And I start seeing people like, okay, they're making gifts of Chris Jericho with a Gandalf, Chris Jericho's face on Gandalf, or like all these cartoons of Dragon Ball Z. And it's like, oh, this, this is interesting. They, they like this wizard. So then I say it a couple of times, I can do it. I walk some wizard. And little kids now, they're supposed to videos. So what are, you, what are you? I'm a wizard. Oh, now we have something. So that's why we did the fireball last week, just on the random backstage guy, because you don't have to do it much, but just doing it a second time, now it's Chris Jericho's. I'm a wizard. My dad said, how did you do that fireball? I said, I'm a wizard. He was mad. I said, what do you do? I want my hands. So that's kind of, you just read the room and kind of see, like, people don't bring signs anymore. You notice that? Yeah. I noticed that a couple of weeks ago. Nobody brings, back in the day, signs everywhere. That's how you could tell Jimmy Harper would say you can't make people You know why? You know what's hard? You can't hold your sign in your phone. Good call. Same time. That's a good point. good point. Everyone's always got their phone. So you used to be able to read the signs. And now what you do is read social media. And you see kind of what's moving and what's shaking. And then, you know, we maybe put out a t-shirt, see how it does. Oh, it's the number one seller of the week. Okay, now we have something. So I think it's basically just reading reading the climate of the room and kind of hearing what people do. And just... But I'm pretty good at that. And instinct, instinct is good as well. A lot of, I mean, 32 years of doing this, I have a real kind of good feel as to what people are into or what they might be into. Most of the time I'm right. Not all the time, but most of the time I'm right. Even Jericho Appreciation Society, when I told Tony that one, he bit on it right away. Cause he, he, and I was like, dude, he's like, that's great. And I was like, <coughs> when I first said that, huge outrage. Jericho Appreciation, that's terrible, it's terrible. I was like, okay, stop. Charge. You should have called the Inner Circle 2.0, right? No, 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 no. It's terrible. And then here we are now, Jerry. And the sports entertainment. And the sports entertainment. I lean into the sports entertainment. So she <laughs> no, said, no, what a genius. What a genius. And it leaned so perfect into Brian Danielson. Uh, well, that was another thing, too. To, to, I'm sorry, I was on a long time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so we were in Bridgeport, and Eddie Kingston and I had a face to face promo. And he was great because he came in there and said, You know, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't want to talk. This is pro wrestling. You want sports entertainment? Go down the road. Huge reaction. That's interesting. They don't like sports entertaining. They don't like sports entertainer. Hmm. Call my trademark guy. Yes, weird question. Sports entertainer trademark? Nope. <laughs> it's now. <laughs> so that's kind of why I was like, it's perfect. And then like, like he just said with the Blackpool Combat Club, and then suddenly they're connected because of Eddie and Mox, and none of you guys saw it coming, which made me laugh so hard. All the smart minds in the room, nobody saw this. It's five on three. It's five on three. Okay, it's getting old. This guy's got to do something. Blackpool Combat Club. Oh, it's getting old. they got to do something. You never saw the connection that it was coming to your head? We came up with that three months prior. But it's like I said, it all connects. Everybody connects. Uh, so pro wrestlers versus sports entertainers. There you go. Thank you, guys. Last question. All right, Dominic D'Angelo from WrestleZone. Uh, you talk, we talked about reinvention. Uh, I, the first time I did that was a scrum. I asked you about Terry Funk reinventing himself. Who on the roster would you say that potential to kind of reinvent themselves that you've kind of seen have you seen anybody kind of give that indication or something in that regard? Well I think I think I think Brian Daniels is doing a pretty good job. I think I think Moxley, if you look at Moxley now compared to three years ago, maybe not like a different gimmick or something, but he's a completely different performer than he was then. Um, a lot of our roster is very young. You know what I mean? So they haven't had to reinvent you know when it's time to reinvent, we start getting stale. But unless you have the experience, it's hard to know that you're getting stale. That's what I'm saying. You've got to listen to what the crowd is doing. I mean, Matt Hardy's reinvented himself very well over the years, but, but he's also got years and years of experience. So 
Um, I don't know, and I'll have to see. I'm trying to think who's creative. Like Swerve Strickland is very creative, and has I, I had him on Talk as Jericho, just listening to how he thinks about wrestling is very interesting. Malachi, the perfect example, done a great, completely different of what he was in WWE, with still a kernel of the same thing, but he's created this whole new faction and vibe for himself. So those type of guys, I think, have a real proclivity to, to change. Because reinventing is not just doing great promos and doing new angles. It's a complete gimmick change. I always go back to when Kiss took their makeup off. You know what I mean? Like, you knew that this was a new Kiss because there's no makeup. I, that's just insane. Why would they do this? Because it's different now. And for me, every time I change, there's always different clothes or a different look, different catchphrase, a different entrance. I remember when I first I walked out in, in trunks in 2008 in the WWE. And I, I'd worn nothing but long tights for 20 years. And I was like, okay, I'm turning heel. I want to get rid of Y2J, get rid of the countdown, and switch from, from long tights to trunks. And I walked out. And the first guy I saw was Bruce Pritchard. said, Legs. What are you, why are you going to hide in them? And I was like, oh, great. And I walked three feet down the hall. I see Dean Malenko's. You look ridiculous. Why would you wear those? If I had seen Dean first, I would have went back into the locker room and would have put my long pants back on. Because I saw Bruce, I was like, okay, this works. Same with Painmaker. The first time I wore that makeup, the only place you could walk into a dressing room and no one would bat an eye is in Japan. Because they love weird shit there. I remember walking out <laughs> and no one even said a word. I went to talk to Naito and he didn't even look at me. He nice paint. He just said, it's like no one's even no one's even commenting on this. This is great. I'm gonna do this and continue on as the pain maker in New Japan. So um, like I said, you just have to know and have instinct and just and be completely confident and not be afraid of what anybody says as long as you see Bruce first and uh, Dean second. Too. I'm uh, really happy for CM Punk being our new champion. What a story, seven years away, and then now he's, he's the champ again. So I think that was a perfect way to put an exclamation point on a great paper. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Tony, could you move to the middle oh, for just for the sake of yeah, keeping the shot? saying they felt fatigued, especially on the East Coast where the show ended after midnight. Is this the kind of length of show you're going to continue to put out going I will forward? follow the feedback of the fans. It was pretty similar. Revolution even had a great response, and commercially the show was very successful. Like I said before uh, Chris came in, I was starting to say, there was, it was a little bit different, and I ended up uh, adding a little bit to the length of the show to help the show commercially and help the show make money, and I think it made 
uh, if not a seven-figure difference, definitely a six-figure difference in the bottom line of the show. And so that's a big consideration, certainly, and a major financial consideration when Game 7. Like I said, it was probably only a 28% chance of the Game 7. It was far more likely if I booked the show Saturday that there would have been a game and it would have been the Warriors who were the big draw. And uh, so the Game 7 only happens 28.1% of the time. 72% of the time, this would have been a pretty easy thing. And on the West Coast, I probably would have ended it around the time they always end. Every pay-per-view's ended between the same time until tonight. They've all ended. We've had a lot of the best pay-per-views anybody's done. They've all ended between uh, 11.40 and 11.55-ish. Uh, 11, between 11.40 and 11.56 uh, on the East Coast, which is like 8.40. So this is about the same amount of wrestling bell-to-bell as the Revolution. The difference is, I was starting to say, Layla and Chris Statlander had a long, great match before Layla got hurt uh, on the first match of the buy-in in Orlando, which was on the East Coast for the fans. And I think, I thought the fans were far more, uh, like, I, like from that I learned, probably better to put the stuff in the pay-per-view. I thought the crowd, this was the best. If people were fatigued at home, I'm sorry, because I never intended it to be that way. But it was the best the fans in the arena have ever reacted to the last three matches of any pay-per-view we've ever done there. And I've done 13, 13. of them now. And plus the original Fight for the Fall and Fighter Fest, which were not for free. But um, they were free domestically. I think they were still international pay-per-views. But I think overall international gets a good deal on pay-per-view prices. So uh, I think um, domestically, this was, again, the highest we've ever done for Double or Nothing. So as I saw it go, it was getting more and more likely that it was going to go seven games, which, again, is very unlikely. That's very unlikely. Less than, you know, 28, 28.1% historically. Exactly. And so as it was getting, it was high 2-2. I'm watching, the, obviously, we, we did really well. If anybody followed the Wednesday ratings, I was really happy with the go-home show in terms of the quality of the wrestling. I thought the wrestling was excellent. I really loved the Samoa Joe versus Kyle Riley main event. And the three-way match with Swerve, we get the win, probably his biggest win to date. And a big match on Dynamite with Jungle Boy and, uh, uh, and Spricky Starks. And I thought that it was very clear the basketball game with those guys had a big impact on the, the rating because we were over a million for the first hour. And, it, and, and about four seven, over 475 for the first hour. Then it was like, I don't know, 880 in the second hour. It was over a million in the first. So it was a huge drop uh, because of the basketball. But still, overall, the show did a really good number. It was up week over week. And a .35 is a huge number to pull with what we were up against. We were a top 10 show on television right now. Not cable. A top 10 show on all television. Dynamite with the competition it was up against. I mean, everyone was up against that competition. And it did really well for Warner Brothers Discovery, which had like six of the top 10 shows on Wednesday. And, oh, I'm sorry, that's not true. ESPN had big coverage. I think Warner Brothers discovered four of the top 10 shows. ESPN also did well. We beat every show on ABC, every show on Fox, every show on CBS except Survivor. And NBC has that power block with the Chicago shows, the Chicago Med, the Chicago PD, the Chicago Fire. Those, those did really well. We were top 10 on all of television beating broadcast TV now. That's a huge deal for us. And that was, and against big sports competition. So, there was clear, though, from seeing the way the first hour moved, that like, it's going to swing our fans. I see evidence that we had, by putting the hot three matches on at the end, a lot of interest in the show, and it drove. Not only were they the hottest, but like I said before, that's a belabor it, the hottest the crowd's ever been for the last three matches of any pay-per-view we've ever done. So I felt really good about that. People at home, I mean, look, I'm a big, I had dinner with Dane out here, I think I may have noted to people uh, while I was out here, and uh, with my dad, and we were talking about it. It's a great business strategy for them, too. Punk and Hangman went to the ring before any UFC main event you'll ever see. And they do pretty well. They do great numbers. They're the biggest pay-per-view company in the world, and they do a great job. They've had, they have a similar number of fights as we did matches, actually more. You'll see like 15 prelims, like 15 matches on the UFC card. Why? For a lot of reasons. They've 
lot of fighters that people are interested in. It drives engagement. It drives betting. It gives people more time to buy the show, builds more word of mouth for a main event. And hey, on a Saturday, guess what? Like, it's no secret I'm in the football business. I, for my career, have to watch football on Saturdays. So are you trying to move in kind of a UFC-style direction? Are you trying to kind of... No, this, like I said, I'll see what the feedback is. Okay. This was a unique circumstance. I was flexible with a window. It's a good chance that we would have ended at the same time we always do. If I hadn't had to add to the card and make sure there was a whole, almost like, look, those last, the whole pay-per-view was great. But it was a, it was one more match than Revolution, well, to start to finish if you had the buy-in. There were 12 matches on the Revolution. There were 13 matches tonight, including the buy-in. There were 12, it was 9 plus 3 on Revolution. It was 12 plus 1 tonight. So it was one more. Bell to bell, I might, it might have been, I think it was very similar start to finish in terms of the action. And it was on the West Coast, which I think makes it make more sense. So like I said, for these people in Vegas who come to the fights, and also people from all over the world, but in Vegas, in this building, they never see a world title fight before we got to the match. And they, have, and they start early with more fights. I think, I'm not saying, I'm look, a UFC model is a very successful model. We're obviously totally different sports. I but, say, yeah. but I have a ton of respect for what they do on pay-per-view, and that's why one of the reasons why I've loved it. Not, uh, they're the 800-pound gorilla of this business, and I stay out of their way. And also Dana's my friend, and he's been so, 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 so cool to me. So, like, uh, I take great pride in their success, and also, like, being here in their home building, in their hometown. And, like, I, it's like, I, you know, this is his territory. So I wanted to see him with my dad and hang out with him while I was here. But like he was telling me, it was worked great for their business too. I was telling him, I bet now because Game Seven was looking very. It was it was Thursday night we had dinner, so I didn't know there was, there was Game Six hadn't been played yet. But I was telling him, I was like, and you know they have these things all the time. They have big sporting events on Saturday nights. College football's huge, and you know same as same as me, they're rooting against the game going to overtime. And tonight I think it was a four point game, so we had you know Shivani push when the game ended, not saying about the basketball exactly, but saying like, hey, there's. A lot. There's people at home. If you haven't been watching, this has been a great pay-per-view, which has been a lot of great stuff already, and there's so much left to go. And when our Anarchy in the Arena was going off and the crowd was the hottest they had been in the entire point of the night and the basketball game's over, that's a good ad for people to, like, hey, you might want to, like, flip this on. There's a lot of people watching with their families or with their friends. Gatherings now are back. People are hanging out in their homes more. So it's a great reason, hey, the game's over. If you get one wrestling – I've been that wrestling fan, right? I've been that fan at, like, watching – uh, hey, was the Royal Rumble 2003 under in the football championship games? It was, right? I think, I think well, that, you mean <laughs> the NFC and AFC championship games? I'm pretty sure it was. I remember watching the, the matches, like the Kurt Angle match, and uh, I'm pretty sure the football games were on that night. And that's like literally the biggest, the second and third highest watched TV shows of the entire year after the Super Bowl. So um, I was in that game. We were the, the Jaguars were actually the number two show of the year in uh, that year. Most second most watched show of the year. So, like, look, like, uh, there's, it, it's. I thought it came out incredibly well. I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, but it was a crazy week for many reasons and for the length of the show. It was shorter than WrestleMania 31, I believe, which is a great show other than the Sting stuff, I think. And, one of the <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, besides that, that part, uh, it's a great show, and it was significantly longer than what we did tonight, especially with the stuff at the beginning. You, point yeah, you, were, you were right. It's the same scene. It, it was. Anyway, now it was the same day. Yeah, they were up again. So I remember watching the. He knew he wasn't actually in the game. So like a lot of big events that it happens, but we actually fought through. There's a big win. We did a record gate. We did the record for double or nothing again. You're every time, and uh, it was it was a big success for the crowd. That's why I put those three matches at the end, knowing that the crowd would be the hottest they've been. And we got the hottest crowd. I think for people at home, look, like that was one of the things Dana said that really uh, got through to me. It's like it's stuff, what you're doing is working. Keep doing it. And like ignore like some of the noise if it's working because like you're going to get people. The, 
that don't like what you're doing, no matter how well it's doing. And I think, look, that being said, I don't plan to always go this late. I think it was a unique circumstance, but I left us the flexibility. We could have ended like we have every other time, by 11.40 to 11.58 on the West Coast, which would have been 8.40, and it would have been about 40 minutes earlier than we actually did end. But I added about 40 minutes into the show, and I, like I said, I think it paid off at a tune of six to seven figures. Okay. Thanks. Will Washington. Hey, Will. Pipo and Graf City. How you doing, Tony? Great, Will. Thanks. How are uh, you? Um, pretty good, actually. Great. Don't really have much of a voice. I've been doing a lot of screening. So, um, You've had a big week. Yeah, I have. Uh, <laughs> really big. Holy crap. Well, you've been traveling? I know. I have been back and forth. Back and forth? I've been back and forth. Did you see your cousin win a high-profile match? Uh, th yes, that was great. That was the whole reason I came. Um, so, speaking of which, uh, I've been to a lot of AEW shows. I'm pretty sure this is like my 13th. Um, and one of the things I have uh, noticed is I, I pay attention to the crowds. And this crowd in particular for all of the pay-per-views I've been at, was the hottest I had ever seen it in the final stretch, um, especially once the Arcade Anarchy, er, Arcade, um, Arena, Arena Anarchy, Arena, sorry. I, I You've had, you guys, there was one thing I said might happen is somebody would do what you just did, but yeah. Anarchy in the Arena. Anarchy <laughs> in the Arena, right? We've used Anarchy twice. Okay. Um, so with that said, this was only the second pay-per-view that AEW's ever had in the Pacific time zone. Um, so... Knowing that going forward, do you see, um, or is this a better question for Raphael? Um, well, no, Raphael and I literally talk every day about the booking. So uh, it's a question for the two of us. We're the ones that do uh, it. So do you foresee, um, especially with talking about the length of these pay-per-views and how, um, you know, that you were talking about, how you were comfortable going along with this one, do you foresee doing more shows, specifically pay-per-views, out closer to the West Coast? I, I do think if the competition was right, I would maybe have had, you know, the buy-in and maybe the length. One match less on the night, maybe one more on the buy-in, one more, maybe two less on the pay-per-view. Change things. I could have moved things around had uh, you know things not gone this way with the timing. But it is nice to have the flexibility. Also, we just want to service the fans all across the country. I think we've been all over and done pay-per-views all over the country. I think there's a lot of great places to do uh, pay-per-views on the West Coast. We're just now bringing the TV to LA this week, which is a huge, obviously, a good thing for me to plug and talk about now with Dynamite for the first time and Rampage coming to California. And I think now that we're finally doing Dynamite and Rampage out on the West Coast also, and of course Double or Nothing bringing it back here, which I think now, uh, like I said, on Wednesday and Friday, I didn't spend any time with Lyle. I wasn't planning to go out at all. Martha asked me to go out with her, uh, Dr. Martha Hart. I was not planning to go out. She asked me. I wouldn't have taken off. I told her it's her moment, and that's why I got the heck out of there after uh, she, I did walk her out as she asked. And then I thought she was doing great, and she was out there with uh, two great ones and uh, – you know, but I wasn't expecting to go out at all. But I said on Wednesday and Friday, double nothing, staying in Vegas forever, and I think they showed why. They, uh, it's great to be back, and there's great markets on the West Coast uh, and the Mountain Time Zone too, as you know, as a Mountain Time Zone guy from Denver. Uh, I was so at that Dynamite too. Yeah, and that was one of the last Dynamites before the, pan, uh, the, the second pandemic last, shutdown. Yeah. It was the second to last show. It was actually the show after our best pay per view to, at that point, probably to date, was Revolution 2020. And tonight was the same kind of hot crowd, hot mind. I was really proud of it. So it was a longer show, but again, it was shorter than a lot of WrestleManias and Wrestle Kingdoms. So I, you know, I, I do think like we get held to a very high standard, which is an overall good thing uh, in sports, as I've seen. Uh, better than not, than not being held to a high standard, as I know from some experience in football in uh, America and uh, at times in Europe. But right now, things have probably never been in a better position in football than we are right now. Um, I, I know this is something you probably think about all the time. And this is related to the crowd, which was great. But 
in WWE, there's a sheet that says baby faces, heels. And if you say, I want two heels to wrestle each other on Raw, you're going to say, no. How do you know that, Dan? Tell them. I'm not. <laughs> because I work there. God. What is he I was a writer. Oh, okay. It's embarrassing. Uh, anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, hey, man, I'm, I'm be here now. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not trying no, to be a dick. I know. Working in wrestling is a great thing, and that's a great, and that's a great place to work in wrestling. Sure, sure. Yes, it's, it's great. Um, but the question is, <laughs> Tony, the question is, you do this a lot, and this main event was two baby faces, two of the most popular wrestlers you've ever And were you ever worried that when they went out there, there would be maybe not good tension, but like negative, like weird, like, oh, this this person, maybe this is not good for them and, and their character going forward. You ever feel like that's that conflict, that, that special tension that you need in a wrestling match isn't there if you have two people that are kind of the same alignment? They're very different wrestlers, right? And yeah. they have very different backgrounds, and they had very different paths to get here. So I thought that uh, even though neither one of them is like a traditional rule-breaking wrestler, yeah. you know, a lot of times uh, they say styles make fights. I thought they'd have a great match, and I also thought, look, the sanctity of the championship is very important. Like we've had four champions until tonight, and now we have our fifth champion, and every one of them is somebody that the company can hang their hat on as a face of the company, and that includes Hangman, who was excellent. And look at all the great matches. And I know I said this to a bunch of you in the build-up, too, and in interviews, but what a great champion Hangman has been for the company. And I was something I felt really strongly about, and it's something I believe in. And, and you know, look, I'll tell you the truth. When uh, when he took some time away from the company a year ago, I don't think a lot of people in my position would have, would have held, held things for him the way I did and, and made sure that he still got a world title shot when he got back and put him in a position where you go in the casino ladder match, give him the opportunity as a joker to go in and then earn a world title shot after he had not been around. And uh, and could have gone with people that were more experienced, but I believed in him. And that's he's Hangman is a guy we've been lined up in from the beginning. And I'm a loyal person, and he's a loyal person, and he's a great wrestler. And from the very beginning of the company, the story when we were out here was it was Hangman, and then it was Jericho, and then, of course, Mox and Kenny at the end. And we're the first four world champions. Well, we set up for Jericho. Mox took the title from him. And Kenny, which was the end of the show, and the beginning of the show, as we set up going into it, was we knew out coming into the show was Hangman was going to wrestle whoever was the main event. It's either going to be his, his kind of, they weren't partners yet, but his stable mate, uh, Kenny, which would set up more later. But So the four, we really believe in these four wrestlers. And I thought that this was the perfect main event for the fans, a match that was a must-see. It was like... Punk said when he was sitting in his chair before uh, they asked me to move over, uh, which I was going to leave uh, the, the, the aura of this chair that, uh, you know, CM Punk and Jade and Chris had sat in. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think you were proven right about the match. I agree. The thank crowd you. certainly said. There were, I, there were people that looked, didn't. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. you saying that because there were people that, like, thought that it might not make as my And I was said from the beginning it would. And that for the prestige of the title, it was actually very important. And the, I guess now is as good a time as any to point out that, like, I didn't, and I talk about Hangman, and this comes full circle. Around the time he left was around the time Punk came in. And a bunch of people said, you should put the belt on Punk as soon as he gets in, and especially when Hangman wasn't there to wrestle Kenny it all out. And uh, the reason he was not there is a very legitimate reason. It was a great reason. I'm very happy for Hangman and his, his family. And at the time, uh, that was his private matter. Great that they what they've done and, and had a family and then he came back and uh, 
penny in the payoff of what's, you know, the oldest, longest standing story in this company still. And they have had one of the best managers, if not the single best manager in the history of the company with the board, with Hangman and Kenny and the Young Bucks. And at Revolution 2020, again, I always go back to it because it was a special night. And uh, I think uh, Dave, it was the right match, and it just, I, you're, I appreciate you saying that because I do feel like it was proven right as I was, I was pointing to somebody in the back because I smiled to him because I told him it was, the crowd was going to, uh, and, and if people, a bunch of people worried about the length of the show, and I told him commercially this is something that is going to be very good for the bottom line of the company, and I promise it, the hot would probably be hotter than ever, and, and with what we have at the end, it's going to be great. And I thought, you know, between the Anarchy in the Arena and the World Title Match, the World Tag Title Match was a great, perfect match to go in between. And uh, Hangman, whether it was a Kenny winning the title from Kenny, the first 60-minute draw on live television, my lifetime, I don't know, one. I think Bachman Hennig was taped, Dave, right? So Bachman Hennig did a tape match, yeah. yeah. So there's no live 60 minutes in the modern. Um, I carry Von Eric and Ric Flair on the Financial News Network was taped in Hawaii. No, that was taped weeks before the yeah. So there's no live 60-minute Broadways? Um, I mean, there was, there was Iron Man matches, matches, Iron Man but matches. no, not Iron Man matches. Like actual, like one, one fall. One, have there been a one fall, sixty minute time limit drama? I don't think so. Sean so. and John Cena fifty five. But that wasn't a one hour. Yeah, it was it? Okay, it was close. They did eight. That was a great. Match. That was a great match. But that was that tape delay. Wasn't it? <laughs> that, that, that was tape delay. That was also tape delay. Okay, and Steve did fifty five live. Yes, and that was two. But that was two out of three falls. So one fall, 60-minute Broadway. It's the only live television in the modern we've called. We've gone through a lot, and we went through a lot of stuff there now. In Japan time. What was the last thing you said? Oh, in Japan. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. In America, yes. Domestically. Yeah. Domestically, the first. So Hangman and, and Danielson. And then the match they had to kick off the TBS era. Like, Hangman was the champion that brought us into TBS, which is, like, really meaningful and important. And that'll never be forgotten. The Hangman-Danielson match on January 4th was a huge success for us. It was January 4th or 5th? 5th. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking January 4th in the brain. Thanks, Rev. Good job. Uh, January 5th. Uh, I knew I caught myself there. Um... Yeah, on January 5th when we started the TBS era, that uh, Hangman Danielson will always be a huge part of it. And then the matches with Adam Cole, who again, uh, what a way, uh, Adam Cole, what a great moment with Adam Cole and Britt and Martha Hart, I thought. And Adam Cole, great matches with Hangman. Uh, the Texas Death Match was very special, and of course, Revolution. A lot of people, again, didn't think that at the end they would get the reaction and stuff. And Hangman and Cole got the crowd as into it as anything, I think, uh, you know, up to for at least uh, for a while there. And it was. It was uh, just an awesome match, and uh, Hangman's been tremendous. Takeshita, great match with Takeshita. Uh, I think that was uh, unanimous. So Styles make fights, and we talked about the run Hangman's had, and we, you know, when Punk was in here, we talked about the run he's had, and it just felt like the right match. So thank you for uh, letting me let me give you a, a long answer to your point, but just felt right. And as far as how they come together, I I think. Uh, there's, you know, I hate to, see, I to borrow a phrase from your former employer, Shades of Grey, right? And that's UFC, that's Pearl Resu, that's AEW. Okay. Thank you. Uh, run we've had. I think it's, it was a crazy time. I've never been busier than I was through April and May, and now it's starting to actually like open up and, and light at the at the end of the tunnel in a really positive way. But I'm also excited what's coming in the fall and winter. So uh, uh, I'll.
come full circle back to AEW if I may. So, um, and Ring of Honor, both. Uh, first of all, before I go full circle, I'll start. Uh, Ring of Honor technically hasn't been a few months I've been the owner, actually. Uh, it just closed pretty recently. It was kind of a, a gutsy thing I did. Uh, I was working off the interim agreement, but I was actually the interim booker for a while there because uh, I hadn't actually, Sinclair was still owning the company, but I had uh, uh, I'd taken over uh, financially and it was agreed that like everything was, it, it was really cool. They were really good to work with. And I think I was like, I wanted, they wanted the Supercard of Honor to happen. I think it made sense if I was going to purchase the company that the Supercard of Honor would happen with me booking the show and running the show and and, and, and taking the, since it's after the, the agreement, you know, but they were great. Sinclair was awesome with it. So I actually just closed pretty recently because they were awesome to work with, but it's a complicated asset transfer. I think sometimes like, you know, that's stuff the outside of the business. Uh, sometimes people that aren't in, in, the, in the business communication with all the uh, assets that were being transferred and there's a lot to document that we had made a deal and it's a pretty uh, famous story because I uh, had not, I was not sure that uh, it was actually going to close in time for the announcement in March in Daly's Place when we did the announcement of Ring of Honor. So uh, it was, it was uh, worked off an interim agreement. So let me come back to that. As we close that, it was a really exciting time for AEW. The Supercard, going back to that and how busy I was around that time. We're getting ready for the NFL draft uh, at the start of April. Fulham is in a really exciting position at that time. It was looking increasingly likely that we would get the automatic promotion, but also we really wanted to win the football league championship, which we did. And so going through April was always a crazy time for me with the NFL draft, especially I still do the same things I've been doing for many years, right? Like focus on the players that don't get drafted and try and use statistics to find some good undrafted players. And so that was a really busy time. And we were coming back. I literally flew in from TV in, Philadelphia. I came from Philadelphia where Doug Peterson was the head coach, the Jack head coach, and then I came back for the draft. I had been in Pittsburgh and then came back and I went to Philly and then came back right from Philly and I literally got in the morning of the first round and I'd been doing everything on the phone and Zoom. And at the same time, Fulham uh, was cruising. The Ring of Honor, we had just done the pay-per-view and I'm just really proud of the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. And, and talk about pay-per-view link, you know, that was under three hours. It was like kept it to a three hours. It's different. If that's really what people want from AEW, I... I'm open to it, okay? If people want less for their $50, I'm open to doing it if that's really what people want. But I do think, look, a lot of commercially successful things, the Batman, I see people saying to Matt Reeves, like, you made a long Batman, but it's also the most commercially successful thing that Batman's done in a long time. So, so it's worked very well for us because we did record numbers and the crowd was hotter than they've been. So, you know, you do hear, but I, but again, you see that's the one thing people say about the Batman, right? Three hours. You're talking to me right now, but when you started, well, you're the one who asked. I know, but when you started AEW, you said you didn't want to do these length of shows. You said you didn't want these WrestleMania length shows. That's what I'm wondering is if your strategy has just changed in the three years. Well, I've seen some. Again, I've learned a lot, and I've and we pay per view numbers have grown. And again, it's part of like on pay per view. I think we've grown as a pay per view. Every milestone we could hit, we hit. Every pay per view year over year has gone up, and we did it again tonight. And it was against. Probably the toughest competition for any double or nothing yet. With I don't think we've had to face a game seven playoff with two big teams. Ten years later, literally ten years after the Heat and the Celtics win seven games, I was here when Manny Pacquiao left the crowd sitting. I sat for an hour waiting for something. And this crowd didn't sit waiting for shit. They had the hottest two lead-up matches to a main event they ever had, and then they had the hottest main event. It was the hottest go-home stretch of shows we've ever done. Again, I like giving people a lot for their fifty dollars. The Ring of Honor pay-per-views are less money, so I do them a little. It's not. It's not. It's a value the fan every bit as much, but we do a little bit. We charge a little bit less, and we do a little bit less. I've only done one, but it was. Uh, it was one of my favorite shows I've ever done. I'm really proud of it. And so going back to that, uh, I love doing that. And then since then, 
there's been the merge. What, are you okay? Are you I'm sorry. Randy's yeah, shaking his head. Sorry. No, 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 no. You're okay. Is everyone yeah, okay? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm fine. I want. I was just reading. It's going back to question. Fine. I wanted to address you too. Oh, okay. Yeah. I saw Randy shaking. Oh, you're great. You're great. Uh, so step. Uh, so um. So going back to this because I, I really want to. Uh, it's a long question. There's a lot. So if you want to know everything, I'll give you a long answer. So then uh, going through. This merger uh, and the, now the new company we've come out of with Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, that, that is a really exciting time for us too. It's a really exciting thing. And then even this week, like I, I was in, I did press from, and I was on Zoom with the manager and then the CEO of Fulham and with Marco talking players all the days and get up uh, early for that. And then, uh, you know, uh, Jags were in camp. That's an exciting time. Get the coaches are starting to evaluate players coming in. It's kind of a, a quiet time for me in football. I was just at the NFL owners meeting, so I came. I was at the NFL owners meeting in Atlanta, talking about media rights and exciting things. I flew out here and for TV. So I was at the NFL owners meeting Tuesday. Came out here Tuesday night. Uh, we did TV Wednesday. Thursday morning, I was up at 5 a.m. and started doing radio on the East Coast at 5:55, and then I did it till noon. Then I took a shower quickly. No, wait, no, that's not true. I did the all-media call. I did, but between, I, I took a shower. Uh, I talked to a bunch of you on the all-media call, and then I went to LA, and I met with the new management of the company, and then headed out there, and it was the most exciting, exhilarating meeting I've ever had in my life, and I've never felt better about the future of the company and more safe about what's happening here, and I feel really good about the new Warner Brothers Discovery to have such a strong management. Nancy Daniels is such a strong leader, and she was really, cool and so I flew out to LA and back to meet Nancy Daniels along with her team and, and it was some, some familiar faces and also new faces and it's really exciting it was my first time at Discovery and what a great thing we have this is the future of everyone who works here and the fans who it's really important because now I feel like there's a real Discovery sees too how important it is to the wrestling fans to have wrestling on TBS and TNT because it was gone for too long and it's really cool that it's back I think it means a lot to a lot of people I know it does and uh, so we have such great uh, management there, and they asked such great questions, and it was really encouraging. And I know there's so many things we can partner on, and I'm really grateful for that. So that was probably one of the most important things going on. So it's a ton of stuff, and now the Ring of Honor is closed, and I'm still I think there can be a future there, hopefully with a weekly Ring of Honor and also big events. Supercard was a huge success. It was many times over recent Ring of Honor pay-per-views, one of the biggest Ring of Honor pay-per-views ever. Uh, and... Yeah, so it's all really exciting stuff. And then football season's going to start. Holmes back in the Premier League. The Jags have a new head coach who's awesome. And I, I really love Doug. And he's, he's, he's brought so much experience. He won the Super Bowl. If you don't, if you, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, We come to uh, England a lot every year, the Jaguars. And uh, Doug, we actually played Doug, the Eagles, um, in the year after they won the Super Bowl and the year after we lost an AFC championship game, they beat us. And Doug, uh, he's played in the NFL and played in Super Bowl. He's been on the he's been on the roster of a team that played in the Super Bowl, and Doug's played in big games, and he's a great coach. So working with him is awesome. So I'm really excited for football season, both in the Premier League and in the NFL, and really excited for the summer to come in wrestling. I mean, because go to the forum is a big deal for me. I'm like I claim a lot of places as homes, like Ted DiBiase uh, when I was a kid. He changes residence every quarter, but I do. I live in. Uh, Know, a lot of the year in Jacksonville, more, and I base out of there, but I travel 52 weeks a year every week for Dynamite, so I do, you know, 175, 200 flights a year when you include football for both kinds, and uh, it's just 104 alone for Dynamites, and if I'm in Jacksonville, maybe twice a year, call it 100, just on Dynamites, when you add in live rampages, pay-per-view specials, football, everything, it's a lot.
So uh, a lot goes into it, but I try to like manage the time and remember that like I'm responsible for a lot of people and I love every minute. Like I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I love it because like working those businesses, it means a lot. So LA is one of, along with Jacksonville, Champaign, Illinois, Chicago, Illinois, and London. Uh, I consider LA one of my big five homes, and I've never gotten to work with AEW doing a show out there before, but it's where AEW was actually formed. And I was just telling the new management this story because it was actually out there when I first had the conversation. It was in April 6th of 2018, uh, where I had a conversation out there that led to basically the launch of AEW, and it was uh, my partner and activist artist management, Bernie Cahill, and he dragged me out on a Friday night, and it's a good chance we wouldn't be here if he had. Um, and I saw the president of TNT and TBS at the time, and he was, uh, he was, he, he took a chance on us that I'll never forget. And, and then after the ratings were good initially, he took an even bigger chance on us and gave us the extension because the first deal didn't pay that great, but it was still an opportunity going TNT and TBS and it did pay something. And now, uh, it pays fairly, I think, and they've done very right by us. And now we have a whole new management team that can get behind us in new, exciting ways, uh, with AEW. So that's a lot of stuff. I also have, there's a bunch of other companies I'm on the board of our own that I'm not talking about here. Support the true media, sports analytics, uh, but the management team there does a great job running the day-to-day and other business ventures. Uh, I'm on committees in the NFL. I'm in the fan engagement and major events committee of the NFL. In March, I flew out for TV. I had the Fort Myers TV. I had a meet committee meeting in Palm Beach. I don't get much time to myself, so I was talking about Batman to Nick and how long Batman was. I landed in Monday night for a committee meeting in Palm Beach. Uh, Jonathan Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, actually a big Fan, so he's, he runs the fan engagement and major events committee, and he was nice enough to put me on it because I think we've shown that we do a good job engaging with the fans here and, and can add to the big events in the NFL, which are the biggest events in the world, and uh, the engagement with the fans, which I think you know we do a good job with. And, and Jonathan is one of the world's leading experts on that, and Dad, and he's a big wrestling fan. Uh, when we did Mox vs. Nagata in the summer of 21, I knew Jonathan Kraft was a big wrestling fan, and he said to me, got them coming on your territory and you like I was like oh my god you get Fox versus Nagata the business of it it's like and at the time it was a business coup unto itself what was happening in the world of wrestling I got to lay the hammer down in a major goddamn way so uh and uh so it was it's a it's a lot but um I'm just yeah it's it's, it's awesome and does that I mean does that begin to answer it for you with the juggle <laughs> it's like juggling <laughs> Somewhere along the way. No, it's a great question. I hope it was a good answer, and I feel like hopefully it's a start. But it's a start. Guys, just a few more questions. Okay. I, mean, I have. A, I can take a few more, and I want to make sure anybody who came and stayed all this time gets to ask me whatever they want. Hey, Denise. Speaking of the Ram Honor Supercard pay per view, what a great host you were. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, so my question for you is, given the fact that we had our first double interview here at you know in 2018, I was here for the show, and so much has happened since then. So today. Knowing everything that you guys have accomplished, all of the records and the people and the over one million dollars and all of that, what over would you one point one. <laughs> it's a big, it's a lot. It's a hundred thousand. It is. It's a, it's a big difference. Yes, yes. So, with all of that being said, if you can go back and tell your, you know, your twenty nineteen double or nothing Tony Khan self, what advice would you tell yourself, or what kind of, like, what would you go back and tell yourself during that time period? Trust your instincts going into what you're doing is safe. You're not going to anybody get hurt. It's voluntary. Everybody who wants to come. It's voluntary. The first week, March 18th, was like really hard, and a bunch of people like I walked in my office, and like every big star in all my office were in there, and they were all pulling in different directions. And it was like I was like, look, if you don't want to be here, it's six o'clock. The show goes live in two hours. You were in there, and I said, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. But the show goes live in two hours, and I, the show I formatted is like, if anybody doesn't want to come, I'll change it because I got time. 
but like, and it ended up being a huge success. I think like 950 ballpark watched it in the P2, and it did a huge number in the demo. One of the biggest we saw, and it was actually significantly up, and it did a huge number for the debut of the late great Mr. Brody Lee and Matt Hardy. And it was supposed to be in Rochester and Brody's hometown, but we put together the best show we could and pushed forward. And now it's a historically important show in the history, and it started the pandemic and put the wrestlers around ringside. And it was a weird week for me, uh, trying to figure out what to do in the pandemic. And I watched wrestling on Monday, and when I didn't see the fans, uh, the wrestlers as fans, and when I didn't see the camera, the hard cam on the screen, I thought, okay, we got, we got something here. Because I figured then it would, between then and Wednesday, it wasn't going to change either, uh, back when we had competition on Wednesdays. And I can, I can tell you, I've never watched the competition uh, on a way we've done a hundred shows head to head with other uh, wrestling competition. I've never watched one before, but I did a basketball on the side. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, so it's a good it's a good question. A lot changed, but I would say the pandemic was the most important thing we did because we were on fire going into the pandemic. And I think like I kind of around Christmas that year, that was the last time we had a week off. The last time was Christmas 2019. Which was, you know, I think really said something to our new bosses that we were like, we'll work hard and commit. And I never, look, we, safety-wise, we, we had no issues. We had fans. We, when we brought fans back, AEW was the first to bring fans back, actually even ahead of the Jaguars. And the Jaguars ended up using our, our seat configuration, which then a lot of teams use, the 25% configuration we brought back. And there's different ways to do it. And I'm not saying that uh, the, I look, like, I, and I get, anytime I say something, I kind of can't. I can't, I, you know, there's different opinions about the Thunderdome, but I thought there were things about it. Like, that's a way to go. That's a way to go. But it, outdoors, for us, we were outdoors, not indoors. So outdoors, I equated it, and you, a bunch of you already said this a hundred times, but I'll say it again. The drive-in movie. The drive-in movie experience. It was like, we're going to create it, and we'll bring the fans back. We're outdoors. This is safe. They said it's 99 point something percent safer than being inside. 99%. And that if we put people out there, as we did, even with masks outside, socially distanced from everyone else, a family or a group of friends comes in, they sit in their own section of seats. And we were able to get like a thousand fans in and do that for months and months and months. The Jaguars ended up doing the same thing. In the, old, the first week of NFL 2020, only two teams had fans in the stands. It was the Jaguars at home and the Chiefs. And uh, so that, I think, would be the biggest thing because when we came out of the pandemic, we were really ready. Like I said, Punk wasn't here yet, but he was coming. And we came out red hot, and then a bunch of other crazy things happened. And All Out, the end of All Out is one of my, really, All Out is, I think, still it's our biggest triumph, maybe. But tonight is right there with it, and I will see where the numbers settle. But this was a great, the way we started it, not to go full circle to somebody else's question, because I keep jumping around, but um, I thought it was the right thing to do to have Punk be earn the number one contender spot and wrestle his way. Uh, to this position where he had big matches, big matches, and it built and it built and it built. And also he helped a lot of people in that time. A lot of people became better wrestlers and got spotlighted. That's a, t until tonight, I would say that was the biggest match of Will Hobbs' career. And then he was in a big spotlight on pay-per-view tonight, but those are probably the two. And uh, certainly with Garcia, he did so much for him. But Eddie, good Lord. And, uh, and, 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 and most importantly for us and the company and the fans. So it built to something really cool. Um, so I, uh, I think the biggest thing I would say, you're, I'm sorry to go, but just thinking about it as I go, probably would be uh, to trust our instincts going into the pandemic that this is going to be safe, don't abandon ship, and I think it paid a big dividend for us. And then even when we had to go in uh, the next week, they wouldn't allow anybody in Daly's Place March 25th. It's, I, if anybody has never heard this story, they only allowed 10 people in the entire amphitheater as a fire. So it was, it was Tony Schiavone at the desk. I was the only person backstage. They said the truck is a separate domicile. So, Greg, you were out in the truck. There were 10 of you in the truck. We had a, I set up a trailer of 
wrestlers to be the crowd since there was nobody at ringside, but at least to get some cheering audio. And then God bless Chris. And so Chris went out and was like, let's go, let's go, let's go, getting people going like a leader. And he didn't have to be there. Nobody had to be there. It was a very small crew. And if you don't know this, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm the guy who robbed a bank and is telling you the secret. I think people know this by now. Does anybody know from March 25th, Kip and Darby was taped the week before for Dark? People do know that now? Kip and Darby was taped. There was nobody in the building. Nobody knew the difference. So it was completely empty. Cody was on commentary by then with Tony. So what I did was, again, you only get 10 people. I couldn't do tag matches. Brandy was uh, doing the, the ring announcing. So because they showed up, and these are the people uh, that really showed up for me. And so uh, Kenny and Tony Schiavone were on at the start because then at the end, Kenny and Sammy Guevara were going to wrestle like 28 minutes in an empty building and had a great match for the AAA title. And then at the end was... Uh, whatever, with Matt Hardy and Spoke. I, I was just happy. It was Chris's idea with the thing, like I said, and whatever. I've been, it was, you know what? The fact Chris and Matt even showed up, I was very thankful. I was going to do whatever. And uh, Sammy coming out from under the ring made a lot of sense and set up stuff that ended up. Then we shut down for a month, and that match that we built there, we didn't get to do until May 6th. But when we did the May 6th TV, it's one of the things I'm the proudest of because we, you know, we were shut down for a month. Then we went to April, and we had that crew that showed up. That's when the TNT title game. I don't, I've wanted to do it for a long time. It was a plan, but that was like, okay, now we have to do it because that's all we can do here because like we have to reset everything. 29% of the roster showed up for the tapings in Atlanta. And those, those are the only shows I go back and watch. Those Atlanta ones are literally the only shows I go back and watch. The last one is so good uh, for what it was with, uh, you know, opening with uh, Cody Darby and then the crossover match with the best friends versus Havoc and Sabian and the no DQ match and then ending with Dustin and Archer and you videos and stuff it was like the shows really came together and they kept getting better and better and also our post-production i learned so much about post-production it got better which suited us really well because then when we came back going to the wednesday thursday tape cadence we're like wednesday on we tape thursday and that was really important and i think also it cut travel down in half and it, it, it saved a little money but also it also was really good i think in the pan, in the pandemic era when it was peak pandemic to have people traveling less and people were all we didn't know about planes and things like so um so that was really important. We came back May 6th and then double or nothing come full circle to tonight because that show wasn't here, but I was really proud of that show. That's another one of the only other pay-per-views I like. I always go back to watch because it was really special. And a lot of it I like to go back to Mox and Brody. I think it was great. And I think that was like Brody's best. That and the dog collar match were probably Brody's best matches here. It was the best pay-per-view match for sure. And, um, and it was really special. And I called John and I talked to John and Brody in the pandemic. John was going to come back. He was like, he'd been, he'd been out in April. He wasn't at the April taping, but he was going to come back in May. Helen, we built Brody up on this thing. I think that's a really good match. We can get him in the top five. He's like 3-0 record, and he can steal the belt. We do three-week buildup, and that's like as good as we can do. I think it's going to be fucking great, dude. You guys are going to tear the house down, and they did. And then we also set up Taz and Darby that night, May 6th, which is a program that went like a year, and uh, and set up Jungle Boy versus Max. We set up, uh, goddamn, uh, you know, so many things on that show. But And then we did, the, of course, the... Uh, the, the, the street fight, which is one of my favorite live TV matches that we've done, certainly especially at that point with Kenny and uh, my Hardy versus Sammy and Chris, the golf cart, the whole thing, the inner circles name and lights, and it, it built up to a double or nothing. So, yeah, the pandemic era, uh, it, it was hard for so many re reasons, but I think we came out of it better than ever, so that would be the number one thing. And I think it's like, um, that was what I was talking to Dana about, too, because that's what he's proud of stuff, too, and he says the same thing. Like, uh, And it's very different, and, and, and uh, you, you know, there's, there's different opinions on how we had different different things went but um you know uh he said that you know that for them that was important too and i think it changed their business and they did huge numbers by doing shows in april i think you know it ended up being safely and uh and and they came out of it even stronger too so that was what he said um does that make sense it totally does thank you Thanks. thank you
I'll take anybody who hasn't asked. I think there's a few people that I haven't gotten to talk to. Hey, hey, Red. Hey, Ryan just read for Wrestling Illustrated Grand City Podcast. We talked a little bit about California making your way back to California this week. Please come to the Bay Area. I'd like to say that out loud. Um, you make a lot of conscious efforts. Uh, did you make a conscious effort to have, we're going in with the tag team champions and the TNT champions being California people, representative for California. So did you make a conscious effort to have some great representation going into those shows? Absolutely, yes. That was really important. I think we have a bunch of big stars in California. Of course, the Young Bucks also, and and will be very close to their hometown on, on Friday. They're from Southern California. Guys, a bunch of great wrestlers from Southern California on the show. It's a great point. Um, and also representing different eras of AEW. Like I saw, who is it? You guys might know. Somebody here might know. Somebody had a great tweet. Might have been one of you in the room, honestly. That I bet you saw it. That the uh, the three different eras of AEW were represented in that tag match. You had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, the originals. And I've seen a lot of people talking about how I'm beating all the originals. So I just thought this show was an interesting balance of the new faces and the originals, right? And there was a balance. It was some of the originals, some of the new faces, and matches together separately, and it's gone. It's, it's, a, it's a tug of war, like it should be. But I saw somebody say that the three-way represented the three eras, because you saw John Boy and Luchasaurus, the champion from the original era. You had Starks and Hobbs, who come in the pandemic era, and tonight was the first time Starks and Hobbs have lost a tag match in almost two years. Uh, they, the first, they, 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 uh, Winter is coming 2020 against Cody and Darby was the last time, and they hadn't, that was the first tag match they haven't dropped one since. They've been dominant, and they beat. beat 543 days. Was that? 543 days. Is that after Rampage? It's 541, right? And then it's yeah. 543 now? Yeah. Yeah, because I think I remember them saying 541 on Rampage, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's been... I gave him that stat, by the way. Oh, did you? Well, there you go. So you did. So, <laughs> yeah. so the, the three years of AEW, you know, to have, like I was starting to say, so, uh, and I, I and it, it's the thought I was giving and talking about those guys and how great they did, but it's the three, you know, with the, 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 the original with Jungle Boy and Luke Soros who were on the very first show here. And then have now worked their way to the top in, in California, guys, like you said. And then to have Starks and Hobbs, who were, came in the pandemic, both of them, in different circumstances, but came together and, and uh, in cool ways, both of them. Starks on TV is a guy that was a pushed indie guy and they got a great opportunity and seized it. And then I was in the ring and we didn't know, I, he got, it was a tryout match, basically, he was in the ring. And I said, I, I texted Mox and I was like, I got the guy. What we want to do, I got the guy. Uh, or, and then he never met him or her. And it was John. John fucking saw it. And like, and then Hobbs was on dark, and uh, and you know, killing it. And I remember I needed somebody. I wanted somebody big to wrestle Darby on the show where um, I think it was Saturday Night Dynamite where Brody won the title. I'm pretty sure. It was. And it was Hobbs versus Darby, and you know, wanted somebody to big, big to be credible. You don't want some somebody you don't think is credible to be out there manhandling one of your top young stars and he did but obviously darby came from underneath as he's as he's known to do and he's, he's very uh he persevered and but it showed a lot about will to me and then all out was not long later and he went the distance in the battle royal and then you know saved john with the chair up on the stage when we were socially distanced with the fans and stars jumped him so they you know they, they were really important and then getting it's california to, too yeah there you go there you go california another california wrestler yeah. will hobbs it's a great point and then uh of course with Swerve and Keith representing the post-pandemic era, two wrestlers that have come in. So you had the, the, the originals versus the pandemic era versus the post-pandemic era and the three-way. I thought it was really cool. I, and I guess subconsciously, I kind of thought about it, but I but like when somebody said it like that, I was like, it's so cool going into the show. It made me feel even better about it. And and the three-way match they had, the singles match was great. And then you could tell people really wanted the three big guys. So it was just a cool dynamic. 
Um, so there's a lot of great stuff on the show, but it's going to California, like you said, Hobbs is another great one. The Young Bucks, I think, is a great example. Scorpio Sky, um, and you know, certainly a bunch of great examples um, on the show, top to bottom. And um, you know, you just named a bunch of good ones. So uh, yeah, I think it's really important going into LA. Um, having the LA Times here is nice, and uh, there's a lot of great California journalists like. Like Dave, who used to write the California Wrestling Report. Oh, it was before I was born. And uh, and uh, but before I, everyone in this room was born. I don't know about that. I'm looking around the room. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Almost everyone. <laughs> but it's pretty cool back. And so uh, there's a lot. I think it's just cool for us to go into LA and to go into the forum, and also, frankly, to have the presence of the new the new management of. Warner Brothers Discovery, the new bosses at TNT and TBS, and it's like so cool. They're, they're throwing us a big party, and like that's a really cool thing for them to do, and and, and for them to come to our show, it means a lot. And uh, I'm just so excited about the future there. That's so cool. So thank you. I'm excited about California. Thanks. Yes, thank you for coming. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Okay, guys, really to... I'll do a few more. Has anybody not gotten asked a question all night? Oh, I guess. Oh, Dave's asked 17 questions. <laughs> yeah. But you can ask. All right, but I'll get you. What, what, what's, I want to get everybody, and then I'll ask Dave. Um, Eric from uh, PWInsider.com. Yes. Um, when Formula 8 shows, uh, cutting something like the Casino Battle Royal that had been on previous Double or Nothings, is that hard to not have on a show to get more wrestlers on? Well, it might would arguably get more wrestlers on, but I don't think it would spotlight people as much. And it's a longer match. Historically, a lot of entrances, and you talk about a match that could burn the crowd out on a night where we're trying not to do that. I mean, that's like, a, you know, doing... T- 21 entrances isn't necessarily the way to go. Also, I didn't want to have somebody come out. The winner of the match could tip what was going to happen in the main event. And I didn't think the winner, I mean, there could have been somebody that would have been a good matchup for either person. I also thought it was probably better to have Darby and Kyle do a great match of the length they did, which is a kick-ass hot match versus sticking them in with 19 other people or anybody else in the mixed trios wouldn't have made sense there. The other matches on the card, I think all were good spots. You know, the Death Triangle in the House of Black, I think with Phoenix coming back, they deserve a really good trio they kicked ass um, versus like jamming the six of them in there with Darby and Kyle and a bunch of people. Down. So on All Out 2020, I didn't have the extra pay-per-view. And all, another reason why, I, did Nick leave? Uh, so I, I burned Nick out. Nick, another reason for the length of the show. I gave Martha as much time as she wanted to talk. And I told Martha, you can talk as long as you want to talk. And that could have been an hour. And we could have been here. So I extended the pay-per-view window also, not knowing about the Heat Celtics, even in case... I knew Martha had it, and, and she's such an intelligent, eloquent woman, Dr. Martha Hart. And I wanted to, I, I knew we could have a great moment. And she wanted to. I wasn't going to force her out there to talk. I said, we can show you. If you want to do a promo, she really wanted to. I didn't know she wanted me to come with her until, like, literally, Brit's music was playing and she won the thing, and the crowd was chanting DMD after the Owen Hart uh, victory role reverse variation, which is great. By the way, I thought uh, Dax worked with uh, Brit and had coached Brit and Ruby, and, and I thought he did a great job. And and then Dax and we didn't see Dax and, and uh, Cash until the end. And talk about super proud of Honor. I mean, they're a huge part of Bring of Honor and a huge part of AEW. They've been a big part of some of the TVs. But there was a lot of stuff in the pay per view. They understood. I didn't want to jam them into a situation. They what you know they could have worked a tag match, but again, um, there was already a lot on the show. And I think Dax saw a great you know first of all the super card of Honor. Who knows what's going to happen going forward? The pay, big pay per views coming. Forbidden Door all out. The future of Ring of Honor. So there's a lot of great opportunities. And also Dax was great working with Britt and Ruby. And uh, and uh, and then um, at the end it was a really nice moment with uh, with them with Punk I think. So uh, yeah, I, I uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, but yeah, so so Nick, um, to your your point, um, that's another thing. No, it's okay. It's a it's a great point. 
and you're asking about the length. That was another thing when I did the length. Before I knew about game seven, another thing I was considering, I was like, maybe I should extend the window because, gosh, Martha, it could be 20-minute applause. <laughs>